as you can see on the sheet, we'll be looking at a lot of different scriptures, but for now, um, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, a passage we looked at uh, last fall, I believe. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word and as we look at this aspect of the church as apostolic, we pray that you would help us to uh, what it means to receive the apostolic witness, to abide in the truth of Christ, that we may indeed be a faithful people, that we may indeed know that because we listen to the apostolic witness, we have fellowship with you, our God. Father, we thank you that you give us eternal life through these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I will uh, be happy to take some questions at the end. So a basic principle of our system of justice is that we don't convict somebody without evidence. We give the testimony of two or three witnesses. And of course, that's not just a tradition of English law that goes all the way back to the Bible, right? The Bible itself says nobody shall be condemned on one witness. Now, what the scriptures tell us that when it comes to the testimony to the resurrection of Christ, Jesus didn't just provide himself with one witness or two witnesses or three witnesses. He provided himself with 12 witnesses, witnesses that we call the apostles. Yes, Paul says that on one occasion, more than 500 people saw Jesus and there were others as well. But the point is, is that Jesus specifically chose 12 men who would bear witness to what had happened to him, to everything in his life, but particularly in the gospel events of his death and resurrection. And they went about and gave that testimony. And then toward the end of their lives, they, they wrote down that testimony so that it's preserved for us 2,000 years later in the books of the New Testament. So that's what I'm hoping to show to you tonight about why we describe the church as apostolic. But first, before we do that, I want to I kind of take a side step to answer, well, what do, what do other traditions besides Protestants like Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox mean by the church as apostolic? And is that something helpful? Uh, and not only Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, but even Anglicanism uh, would hold to this doctrine of what's called apostolic succession. Okay, well, let me give you a definition of apostolic succession. Quote, the doctrine asserting that the chosen successors of the apostles enjoyed through God's grace the same authority, power, and responsibility as was conferred upon the apostles by Jesus. Therefore, present-day bishops as the successors of previous bishops going back to the apostles have this power by virtue of this unbroken chain. So when a Roman Catholic stands up and confesses that the church is apostolic, that's what they mean by it. Okay. Now, there's two dangers, I think, about seeing this, this particular definition as a mark of the church. First of all, it's virtually impossible to prove. 
Hundreds of years ago, John Wesley said, the uninterrupted succession I know to be a fable which no man ever did or can prove. Now, indeed, it is so impossible to trace an unbroken succession through the bishops that the Roman Catholic Church has virtually narrowed it down just to one, the Bishop of Rome. And, of course, if you look at that history, it's a little touch-and-go and very problematic at times. But secondly, this view of the church, I think, ends up promoting a very dangerous formalism. If you have this definition that the true church is simply the church that has this succession of bishops going back to the time of Jesus and the apostles, then it can subtly become twisted to persuade yourself, well, as long as I'm a member of that church, it doesn't really matter what I believe, doesn't really matter what I do, it doesn't really matter how I believe. As long as I'm in touch, as long as I'm under those bishops, I'm safe, I'm okay. Now, Francis Turretin was a, a Swiss theologian who was trying to respond to this particular view. And what he said is that apostolic succession is not a succession of persons and places. It's a succession of truth, faith, and doctrine. Indeed, the greatest theologian of the Western church, as even the Roman church will admit, Augustine wrote this, quote, "...whoever descends from the sacred scriptures..." even if they are found in all places in which the church is designated, are not the church. Close quote. So if that's the wrong definition of an apostolic church, what do we, why do we want to still use that? Why do we confess that when we recite the Nicene Creed together? Well, let's try this definition. The apostolic church is the church that is founded upon and committed to the apostolic testimony to Christ. Let me say it again. The apostolic church is the church that is founded upon and committed to the apostolic testimony to Christ because it is they whom Christ chose as his official spokesman of what he had done and what he had said. Again, look here uh, on your sermon sheet, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, Okay. Now, by the way, these prophets listed here are New Testament prophets. We're not talking about Jeremiah and Isaiah. We're talking about those prophets that joined alongside the apostles in the early church to give revelation until the foundation was firmly laid in the giving of the New Testament. So again, Ephesians 2.20, the church, and you heard this uh, in our call to worship tonight, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So turn to the back of your uh, sermon sheet, and you'll see a quote here by Jeffrey Bromley. It is through the apostles that the record and message of the gospel has come. They are thus the criterion of true proclamation and teaching. The true church may be recognized by its fidelity to apostolic testimony and doctrine. The church is authentically apostolic only when her thought and action are governed and guided by her Lord. That is, when he rules and teaches the church through his spirit and word by the ministry of men. Through their faithful exposition of the apostolic gospel, the risen Lord is still heard proclaiming himself as the Savior of sinners. Now, what are the chief characteristics of the apostles? Okay. First of all, they were handpicked by Jesus, 
Okay? It's not the church that chooses them. It's Christ who chooses them. Okay? Luke 6.13. When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Secondly, they had to be witnesses of the risen Christ. They had to be witnesses of the risen Christ. When Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And he appeared, right? He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the rest of the, of the, of the apostles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Normally, they had to be, here's the third one, they had to be with Christ during his earthly ministry. They had to be with Christ during his earthly ministry. Um, so right before Pentecost, there's only 11 apostles, right? There's only, uh, and that's because Judas was a betrayer. And they felt that it was important to have 12 on the day of Pentecost to show the continuity between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. And so they had to pick someone and they said, we have to pick someone who's been with us from John's baptism until the time that Christ was taken up from us. They had to be with Jesus during his earthly ministry. That's what makes Paul the exception that proves the rule. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's the one who says, I was born out of time. You know, literally, I was a miscarriage. That's what the word actually means there in 1 Corinthians 15.8. And what he means by that, we'll talk about it in a minute, is that he was not with Jesus during his earthly ministry, as the other apostles were. Okay? Now... Fourthly, they had to be bearers of revelation. They had to be bearers of revelation. What do I mean by that? Well, they had to speak by the inspiration of the Spirit, just as Moses had, just as Isaiah had, just as Jeremiah had, just as all the prophets had in the Old Testament. Again, you probably heard me say this, the Old Testament is like having the first two-thirds of the Lord of the Rings. Okay, It's, it's an incomplete a story that's looking for an ending, okay? And Jesus chose his disciples to say, I'm, I'm the return of the king. I'm the end of the story, okay? I'm the one that's completing what Moses was looking forward to, what Isaiah was looking forward to, what Jeremiah was looking forward to. I'm it, okay? And so I've chosen these men to be my witnesses, to see me. You know, sometimes you say, you hear people say, well, you know, Jesus wanted these guys around him because he really wanted to be close to them and he wanted them to develop a close relationship with him. Okay, well, no, not really. <laughs> I'm not saying that he wasn't close to them. I'm not saying he didn't want them to be close to him. Okay, but he chose them very specifically so that they could see and hear everything he had done. And then they could be commissioned to go out and tell, tell everybody all those things. Speak about all those things. So that, so that they, could have, they could get really close to Jesus by hearing the apostolic testimony, the, the gospel. Okay? All right. What do we mean by the apostles' witness? Jesus, on the night before his death, is in the upper room with these men, 
And he says this, here it is on your sermon sheet, John 15. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay? I wasn't with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. John Calvin wasn't with, you know, all those people that Victor mentioned earlier were not with Jesus, you know, from the beginning of his ministry. But James was, John was, right? As soon as Jesus is baptized in John chapter 1, he starts picking these guys to be with him and, and to bear witness to everything that he did. We read about the founding of the church in Acts chapter 1. You heard Pastor Decker talk about this a little bit, and I'm, I'm taking a little bit different take on these things than he did. I don't disagree with what he said, um, but Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And again, I, th I think the definition for that witness is then given here, look, look down here at Acts 1.21, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And what I'm trying to say is, is that when you, when you see that word witness, primarily in the book of Acts uh, and in the book of John, I want, you to, I want you mentally in your mind to insert the word I in front of it, okay? Not I as in me, but I as in I saw it, I heard it, I was there, I was an eyewitness. Just like somebody standing up in court, right? You're supposed to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of what you saw. You're not supposed to share hearsay of something you heard somebody else say, Right? You're supposed to testify to what you saw and heard. And that's exactly what the apostles did. We, we don't do that. We, just, we simply share with other people their testimony because that's the gospel. Okay? So it's a little bit different than what we mean by witnessing. Okay? We should witness. We should share the gospel with other people. But we don't share it in the same way that the apostles did. We share their eyewitness to what Jesus did and said. And chiefly, chiefly, right, their witness is chiefly to the fact that on that fateful uh, Passover, when he went to Jerusalem, when he was betrayed, when he was subject to, to rejection and torture and suffering, and he hung upon a Roman cross, he did not remain in that tomb. But three days later, he went forth and he appeared to his disciples and they bore witness to that fact. They bore witness that he was no longer dead that even though he had, he had suffered a heinous criminal death, he was vindicated from that, and he was seated at God's right hand as Lord and as Messiah. And what's interesting, as you look here at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 5, all these references to Peter's preaching, it's really striking that every time he uses the word witnesses, he always says the plural, we are witnesses. We are witnesses. He doesn't just say, I am a witness, although that's true. He always says, we are witnesses. Now, the reason that jumped out at me as I was studying and preparing for this is because the Church of Rome, 
basically says it's all about Peter. You know, Peter's the one on whom the church is built. He's the rock, right? But Peter never seems interested in, in Peter himself. Peter is always interested in himself as part of this apostolic band that's going about. In fact, it specifically says on Acts chapter 2, um, you know, Peter, st- so, so, you know, the, this miracle's happening, right? The Holy Spirit's bearing witness to what's going on by the speaking in tongues and the rush of wind and the flames of fire. And people are going, what's going on here? You know, we hear these people speaking in all these languages. Well, these guys are drunk. You know, they're, they're just drunk and that's why all this is happening, okay? And then it, it's, there's this interesting deedle. Peter standing with the 11. Think about that. Peter, he wanted it specifically identified that even though he was the one preaching, even though he was the one speaking, he's speaking as part of this apostolic band. Peter standing with the 11. And again, he goes on to to, to repeatedly say, you killed the author of life whom God raised him up. To this we are witnesses. Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him in a tree, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, right? Because all, they're doing all these miracles. End of Acts chapter 2, they're, they're healing all these people, just as Jesus did. So, you know, Peter is not this, the famous Latin phrase that the Roman church uses is, primus inter pares, the first among equals. No, Peter is an equal, he doesn't think of himself as first. He thinks of himself as part of the chosen witnesses. And the same pattern happens not only when Peter is preaching to his Jewish brethren in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but even when the gospel begins to go to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, you can see it uh, here on your sheet, God anointed, so Peter's talking about the gospel. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, now listen to this, and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Now, now we might say, Jesus, that wasn't very smart. You know, when you came back to life, you know, you should have just walked into the Sanhedrin and said, I'm back. You guys thought you got me. Or you should have, you know, he should have walked into Caesar's palace in Rome and said, guess what, Caesar, you're not Lord. I'm Lord. Wouldn't, wouldn't that have been smarter? You know, just show everybody, show everybody. No, no, no. That's not what he did. He chose only these particular people that he wanted to be his witnesses. Now, I don't have to pretend to know exactly the reason why he chose to do it that way. But let me tell you something. He's the one who's risen from the dead. He's the Lord. He gets to choose exactly how he's going to do it. Secondly, it's been quite effective. On the day of Pentecost, there's 120 people there in the upper room. Peter preaches, shares the apostolic testimony, and 3,000 people get baptized. And a couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 5, it goes from 3,000 to 5,000. And guess what? It went from Jerusalem 
to Judea, to Samaria, to Antioch, to Corinth, to all over the Roman Empire. And it's been growing so that it surrounds the entire world. More and more people coming to know the living God through the apostolic witness to Jesus Christ. It is effective. Jesus didn't have to do it in some other way where he has to like prove himself. He's given us all the evidence. He's given us all the testimony that we need. And he's preserved it for us in these 27 books, what we call the New Testament, for the last 2,000 years. The kingdom of Christ is going to grow exactly the way Christ said that it would. And we need to believe that. Go, therefore, make disciples, not holding a gun to people's heads, not developing flashy you know, marketing programs. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have told you, and I am with you. It's powerful. You know, this unflashy, boring means of word and sacrament has been transforming the world for the last 2,000 years. And we need to continue to be committed to it as God's means, as, as, Jesus, as King Jesus' way to exercise His authority. We don't need to come up with new programs. We don't need to come up with, with uh, you know, this technique and that technique. We need to continue to trust that the risen Christ speaks by means of His Word. Now, what about the Apostle Paul? Well, he doesn't meet those criteria, as I said earlier from Acts chapter 1, of somebody who was with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Now, nobody knows that better than Paul, right? That's why he talks about it in his letters. But you know what? He does have the major qualification. He saw on, on the, the importance of the Damascus incident is that he actually saw the risen and ascended Christ. He didn't just have a vision of him. With his physical eyes, he saw him. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And again, the same witness language that was applied to Peter and the other apostles now becomes applied to Paul. So here's when Jesus, uh, when Paul encounters Jesus, Acts 22, 14, he said, the God of our, that's Jesus, right? The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Um, actually, I think that's Ananias talking. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Now, here's Christ's words in Acts 26. Rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen me seen in me and to those which I will appear to you. Now, Paul says in Acts chapter 13, when he's preaching um, in Asia Minor, in a synagogue, he says that the other apostles were witnesses to the people, meaning the people of Israel. But Paul is now the one who's going to take that witness uh, to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the ends of the earth. Okay, He's called, he calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles, Romans chapter 11, 1 Timothy chapter 2. But Paul acknowledges, again, that he is unique among the apostles in the sense that he was not with 
um, Jesus during his earthly ministry. That's why, again, 1 Corinthians 15, 8, last of all, right? And that, that should make us think about people who claim to see Jesus, by the way. The, Paul says he occurred last of all to me. Okay? And I don't think he appeared to anybody after that or since that. Okay? He doesn't have to. Right? Last of all, as to one untimely born, as I said, the word literally means a miscarriage, okay? an untimely birth. He knows better than anyone. Right? Why do you think Paul was, was people were doubting his apostolicity? Well, part of it was not only was he upsetting all the Jewish traditions, but it was the fact that he did not have that qualification of being with Jesus during his earthly ministry. That was the only reason people could make an argument against him as opposed to Peter and James and John. He was born out of time, and yet it is no less true that miraculous and unique as it was, the Lord Jesus, the risen and ascended Christ, appeared to Paul, qualifying him to be an apostle, choosing one, think about this again, from the strictest sect of the Pharisees, the one who thought the Gentiles were, were dogs and outsiders, and we have no interest in them, and yet that's the one that God chooses to be the one to take the apostolic witness to the nations, to the uncircumcised, and to show that, you know, the law has been transformed. We don't observe these, these ceremonies anymore that separated Israel from the nations. Rather, we, we, we receive the apostolic testimony, we believe in Christ, we abide in His Word, and we follow Him and obey Him. Now, the reason this is so important, okay, the reason this is so important is because what the Bible is telling us, what the New Testament particularly is telling us, is that if we want to get to God, we, we need to go through the apostolic witness. You remember this from my sermon uh, last, was it last fall on 1 John 1 when I was preaching on this, right? You remember this? I'm going to remind you if you don't, okay? So this was, if you want to get up to God, if you want to go up, you got to go back through history, Okay? You've got to go back to what has been written down for us in this book. You've got to go back to Jesus crucified, Jesus risen, Jesus ascended. These historical facts that have ultimate significance because they verify who Jesus is and they provide the only basis for our salvation, which is His suffering and death on the cross and His vindication from the tomb. You see, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10. Whoever receives you, and that's not you, and that's not me, right? It's those guys that were with him. Whoever receives you receives what? Me. Whoever receives you receives me. Okay? Now, now again, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that they're mediators between us, but they are media. Right? This book is a medium of communication. Okay? And it's the chosen medium that our Lord and Savior chose. He didn't just choose to like, you know, like like there are these, I don't know, you watch these sci-fi shows and like to get in touch with the divine, you know, like like there's some you hear a voice in your head, okay? Or if you're an Eastern mystic, right, you gotta go out to the guru on the mountain. He's your medium. 
right? And that's, that's literally how we used to use the word 100 years ago, right? You want to talk to bed, dead people? You go to a medium. They're mediating between you and the other person. Well, this book is the medium that God has chosen to speak to you about the reality of who He is, okay? About the truth of who He is, about the need that you have for His Son, right? And again, we, we looked at this, um, you know, again, here's, a, here's an illustration. Um, think of the apostles as not just ambassadors, right? We send these ambassadors to other countries to speak officially. But then we have one ambassador, the Secretary of State, right? Every other ambassador is answerable to him. So you could think of, you could think of ministers, right? Your pastor, other ministers, as like ambassadors who speak for Christ. But the apostles are like the secretaries of state, okay? They're the ultimate ambassadors. They're the ones who were immediately inspired by the Holy Spirit, just as Moses was, as Jeremiah was, as, as all the Old Testament prophets were. Okay, they were immediately inspired. They, they immediately saw what happened to Christ, what He said, right? The, the Spirit will bring to remembrance, to their remembrance, all that He did and said so that they could record it down for us in the Gospels. And then, it, then he will guide you into all the truth, okay? They were guided into all truth so that they could write these epistles and explain all the, all the significance, all the implications of what Christ did and said during his earthly ministry. That he came to establish a kingdom, that he came to, to bring the blessing of Abraham to all the nations of the earth, okay? They were the ones who were chosen, and they were the ones then who, after, as they came to the end of their lives or whenever it was, um, they wrote down what they had been uh, teaching throughout the Roman Empire so that it could be preserved for us, and we could have a basis for having the gospel preserved for us um, for all time. Again, so here's John's testimony. So we've, we've heard what Peter said about himself and his, and his brethren, or his apostolic brethren in Acts. We've looked at Paul, and now we look at, at John, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, right? Eyewitness testimony. Not something you and I can do, okay? You know, when I, when I go to in my prayer closet to pray, I'm not expecting to see Jesus, okay? He's up in heaven. He's not going to appear to me, ever, okay? Don't, don't expect that. Don't seek that, okay? Try, we walk by faith, not by sight, okay? We trust that he's there seating, uh, seated at God's right hand as our mediator, right? All these things that the Bible says that he is, that he is okay? We trust it. We believe it, okay? We don't have to see it. We, we believe it. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now, why is that important? Because our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You've got to go through the apostles if you want to get to God. If you want to have the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have to go to the medium that He has chosen, the apostolic testimony. That is, this, this is why we need to be people of the Word, okay? You know, the, 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 the reformers talked about spiritus cum verbo, the spirit with the word. 
We don't look for the Spirit apart from the Word. We don't look for the Spirit against the Word. We look for the Spirit through the Word. If we want, to, if we want by the Spirit to reach to God, we've got to go through the apostolic witness. And you need fellowship with the Father and the Son, right? Here's what, here's what the end of 1 John says. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You need fellowship that is provided by the apostolic testimony to Christ because you need Christ. Outside of Christ, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You are dead in your father Abraham. You need to be released from death. You need to be forgiven. You need to be justified. You need to be adopted. You need to be brought into a right relationship with God. And that is what we have in Jesus Christ, in the Son. And we have a clear and convincing testimony to Him in the pages of this book. And so, brothers and sisters, when we confess that we are part of the apostolic church, we are confessing that we are part of the church that was founded by the witness of the apostles to the, to the church's Lord, Jesus the Messiah. May we continue to receive it, to believe it, to abide in it, because when we abide in the words of Christ, we abide in Christ Himself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Questions or comments before we close? Yes, go ahead. Well, that's why there's no such thing as apostles today. Right. You know, those people that call them. They were the foundation, right? They're the foundation. You don't keep laying a foundation, right? There's no new revelation. Nobody's adding to Scripture. That's right. You know, so there's some people get that confused. Like there's going to be some new revelation that was missed and some apostle. You know, they, you know there's, there's churches that have people that call themselves apostles. That's right. So, that's right. Yeah, so... Uh, Elder Dave's reminding us that these, these, these apostles, they were, they were there in the first generation of the church. And again, the apostolic succession is, is what they left us, the scriptures, right? It's, it's not an unbroken chain of bishops, okay? Um, and so we don't look for new apostles. We don't look for, you know, a third testament of Jesus Christ, right? As Joseph Smith tried to propound in the, in the 19th. You know, Joseph Smith claimed to be the paraclete of John, of John 14 to 16, right? He will guide you into all the truth, right? No, no, no. Those guys, it was the apostles that were guided into all the truth, and they've written that truth down for us. Great point. Yeah, go ahead. So, witnessing that uh, risen Christ is a prerequisite for apostleship. So, before Christ was risen, they were just disciples, they didn't have the title of apostle. Well, that's a good question because it does say in Luke 6 during his earthly ministry that he designated them as apostles. But I would say, I would say just as Christ, in a sense, um, he doesn't fulfill his mission until he actually dies and rises again. The apostles don't really be, you know, uh, what's the best way to say this? You remember in the old days, <laughs> you kids won't remember this, but you know, you would install a piece of software and then you'd have to reboot your computer and it would suddenly like activate, okay? That, you know, that was like the 90s, okay? Some of you old fogies like me can remember that, all right? Well, that's kind of like the apostles. It's, it's, not, it's not until the death of resurrection of Christ that they really kind of come into their own. And especially when the Spirit is poured out upon them, you know, and they're, and they're and, you know, wait in the city until the Spirit comes upon you, right? Luke chapter 24, and that's when they're kind of fully activated to then start their ministry.
Yeah, good question. Yes. Uh, this is speculation, so just thinking out loud. So don't take this too far. <laughs> but I've, I've thought about uh, the fact that the Apostle Paul is chosen by Christ. Christ, we never hear about ever again. He's chosen by Lot. Now they're trusting that God is guiding the the act of casting lots. But it's in my own mind, I've always thought that's a remarkable thing. He makes twelve. If you don't include the thighs. And he's grafted in, which is related to, or reminds us of being grafted in as Gentiles ourselves. So there's a number of interesting things. You'll have to resolve that before you publish your commentary on Acts. Um, but yeah, some people think that, that the whole Acts 1 thing was like a mistake that the apostles made. Well, I know you didn't say that. I'm just saying, I didn't say you said that, but other people have said that. Um, and, and yeah, it is kind of striking that Matthias just kind of fades away, but he is there on Pentecost, you know, standing up with the 11, right? So he's definitely identified as part of that apostolic band. And, and, and you know, I don't, I don't personally think that it had to stay at exactly 12. I mean, I think it had to be 12 when Pentecost came, um, but it, I, you know, could there have been others besides Paul that were added? I, I don't know. Um, oh, and by the way, I will also say that the, it, I should have given this earlier, but the word apostolos, right? That's where we get the word apostle. It, it just means sent one, okay? And the word is also used not only to refer to the, the capital A apostles, but, but 2 Corinthians 8 talks about the apostles of the churches. And it, and it, and it probably could mean referring to missionaries, right? That, that would have been a way that the early church would have referred to missionaries besides the, the capital A apostles that would have been sent out to preach the gospel as we send people out today. So, um, yeah, good, good, good question or thought, comment. Yes, sir. What do you think that uh, Jesus, when he was conversing with his disciples and then Peter, he said, that, who, do, who do people say that I am? They said, oh, Elijah the prophets. And then he went right to Peter and said, but who do you say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, upon this rock, this is the Roman Catholic right. point of reference for the succession of the bishops. Which you is had nice. to ask the hard question, didn't you? Easy to disprove. <laughs> I don't think you can prove the apostolic succession, but I think you can disprove it by one reading of Eusebius' history when he shows all the different bishops right. uh, from the very outset. But right. my question is, what does that mean um, to Peter or to us as thou art the Christ and on this rock will I build my church? Yeah, so, and, and you know, what in the English, it's the same word, right? Uh, Petros means rock and on this rock. Um, the Greek actually uses a feminine form, Petra, Right, if you've heard of that place in um, Jordan, right, that has that famous thing, that's called Petra, and Petros is how he's identified. But I do think it, it is referring to Peter, but it's referring to Peter in his confession, right? Because uh, Ed Clowney is really good, Professor Clowney in his book, The Church, um, really good book by InterVarsity Press, just called The Church. It's very helpful on this point. Um, and, and I think what's interesting is that when, he, when Jesus says, I give you the keys of the kingdom, okay, in chapter 16, 
the, the power there, what you bind on earth, is immediately two chapters later in Matthew 18 is given to all the disciples, right? All the apostles. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you so, so I don't think it was something that was given to Peter himself or, or Peter alone, but it's, but it's an authority that's given eventually to all the apostles. You know, again, Peter is the one who, who speaks that confession, but I don't think that that, you know, again, I just think when you look at the New Testament as a whole, it's not setting up Peter as, um, as this, this supreme pope, this primus inter pars, this first among equals. Um, there's a lot more that you could say. And again, I'd, I'd say pick up Clowney's book uh, as well as other places. Again, Turretin would be another place to look at in his uh, institutes. So. All right, yes, sir. Uh, I, had, I had a friend who was really into the new apostolic reformation and AR stuff. Like that oh, thing. yeah, I've heard of some of this. Bill I've Johnson types, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in conversation, he was using Paul's not having talked to Jesus in person as a convincing argument why there are new apostles now. Meaning, if Paul was an apostle and he did not speak to Jesus personally, why couldn't some guy now do that and gain that notoriety or not? What do you think about that? Well, uh, so it's a, it's a big question, um, but I think the main one is getting back to what the first comment was in Ephesians 2, that the, that the apostles, um, of which Paul includes himself, again, as one untimely born, he's saying that he's the exception that proves the rule, that, that he doesn't... See, this is the problem is some people take exceptions and they use them to make new rules, okay, rather than saying it's the exception that proves the rule, okay? Um, and so... Understanding this notion of a foundation, right? That foundation is laid, and, and, and again, we would say that that foundation is the 27 books of the New Testament. You know, we're not looking for a 28th book or a 29th book. You know, we don't need a, we don't need a fresh word from the Lord. We need, to, we, need, we need the Spirit to illumine us to the word that He's given and to understand how to freshly apply it, you know, to the situations that we find ourselves in. I just think, <clears throat> I, I think, um, <clears throat> people like power and authority <laughs> and, and <clears throat> you don't need to make that kind of a claim. In fact, I would say if you are making that kind of a claim, it's, it's very dangerous, you know, because you're going to be, you know, thus says the Lord, you know, Jack should marry Jane, you know, well, nobody told Jane that. You know, you know, I mean, there's just, you know, this is one of the reasons why Presbyterians, you know, we, we always say that the elder, the, the authority of the elders needs to be ministerial, not magisterial, right, is to serve, and it needs to be declarative, not legislative, okay? They're not supposed to say, well, you know, uh, you know, you need to work for this guy. Well, Maybe there's some wisdom in that, but they can't say, you know, you should marry this person. You should have this many kids. You should work here. You should, you know, you should move to battleground because that's, that's the happening place. Okay. Maybe there's good reasons to move to battleground. Okay. Cause there's good things happening there. But to say God told you that, you know, un- unless it's, unless it's the Bible, you know, th- that's the problem with that apostolic is they're going to start saying things that eventually may just 
flat out contradict the Bible, you know? So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up the fact that when it comes to the authority of see of Peter and Paul, we're not the only Christians who challenged it. Yeah. I mean, the Eastern Orthodox. The Orthodox who yeah. uh, pretty strong claims to ancient Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. And, and the other problem with with part of this view is when when people are looking for new revelations, right? They're often downplaying the role of wisdom, of maturity, right? I, I knew somebody at my first church that I pastored, and he had a seminary classmate who literally like prayed every morning what color socks he was supposed to wear that day. Just if you like green, pick green, okay? Trust God that, that, trust God that green is the color you're supposed to wear that day. You don't, you don't need God to tell you, you know, he, He's given us everything we need for life and godliness, okay? He, does, he doesn't need to give us a new word about where we're supposed to live. We're supposed to trust Him. We're supposed to exercise wisdom. We're supposed to seek counsel. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. We don't need him to give us all the answers for everything. I mean, that, that's sort of like, you know, again, the, Paul uses this illustration that Israel, that had all these laws, 613 laws, right? They were children. They had to be told every little thing to do. You know, we're supposed to be in an age of maturity where God trusts us to make certain decisions. He doesn't have to tell us everything that we're supposed to do. So, yeah. How, how big of a deal was the 12 in light of the 12 tribes. And where did Israel at that time, let's go the Jews, I should say, which really is Judah, did they see that the 12 tribes were amongst them at that time after the Assyrian captivity that took them out? Did they see that at all? Or was this really like a new beginning of a new 12? You're making an excellent, excellent biblical theological point. Um, what you see in the Gospels is Jesus is bringing a new definition to what it means to be Israel. And it's no longer about Abrahamic descent or descent from Jacob. It's about, do you follow Israel's Messiah? Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. That's the new definition of Israel that Jesus is creating, right? Um, you know, the centurion, right? He marveled at the centurion's faith. You know, truly... East, West, North, and South, people will come to sit down and eat with Abraham while the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. Now, the specific question, uh, Anna, wasn't, isn't she identified as from the tribe of Asher? Um, so, so there are, you know, Israel's still there. And I would even say that, that some of this speculation, you know, like British Israelism, when you about what happened to the ten tribes, right? I mean, there's all these kind of weird speculative things. When you actually look at Chronicles, um, not everybody was deported, and, and there's different tribes that are identified as actually going to Jerusalem. Uh, I think in Ezra and Nehemiah, I can't remember all the details, but but there's you know, so we we need to be careful about speculation. But the main point, and again, this is why I think Jesus chose twelve apostles is to show continuity with with old testament israel but then also this transformation that's happening to what it means you know it's about adhering to the apostolic gospel and adhering to christ all right
we're getting late here, so I probably should. I'm happy to answer more questions if you. And we'll be looking at this issue of apostolicity uh, next month as well. So um, let's uh, actually let's just stand and uh, let me close in prayer, and then um, I'll do the closing benediction here. <clears throat> let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for how it clearly shines forth Christ to us and gives us new life in him. Um, Lord, may we not only abide in these things, but may we we be eager for others to hear this message. Uh, May you raise up those who will boldly proclaim Christ, and may you make each of us faithful uh, to bear testimony to it, um, particularly in our lives, that we would... We would adorn the gospel, as as the word says, with good works, with obedience, with faithfulness, with cheerfulness and joy in our day-to-day living and vocations, uh, particularly in our interactions with our family and neighbors. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.